Okay, so now we're going to look at the final, um, the final speech of Job. Uh, this chapter thirty-one of Job is the last that we're going to hear of from Job before you know God comes to speak with him and and chastise him. And of course, Job will, you know, Job will be utterly repentant at, at that point in time. Who, who wouldn't be? Um, but this is Job's final uh, summation to the speech that was that had began in, in chapter 29. Um, and in this instance, we saw, we saw in 29 and 30 that, uh, Job, uh, in 29 demonstrated that he longed for that relationship with God, longed to be used by God, longed to be the man that he was, not just because of, you know, uh, the blessings and because life was so much easier and whatever, but he longed to be that instrument that was used by God to, you know, feed the poor and help the homeless and the widows and orphans. And he goes all through that in chapter 29. And then in chapter 30, um, it shows from the heights that he had fallen down to where he was now, where he was the laughing stock of all the people. People that he said were lower than, you know, their fathers were lower than his dogs were now standing above him laughing. And, of course, there's implication here to the three friends who, uh, you know, had brought themselves over Job and was giving him all this advice and all these things. Well, in chapter 31, which is Job's, the last part of his speech, Job basically claims that he is ready now. He's heard all the arguments that he's going to hear. He said all the things that he has to say. Uh, I'm through talking about all this. I'm through listening to you guys. I'm through trying to prove my point to you. I'm ready for God to come and judge. I'm ready for him to come and let me plead my case before him because it's doing no good talking to you guys. It's doing no good. And, and, and think about this now that I can see two sides of this, um, this point here. Um, he is, he is longing for God to come and render uh, righteous judgment. Remember now, Job is is holding fast to the fact that he has uh, God's righteousness, not because he is perfect or never sinned, but because he uh, trusted in the word of God when he said uh, to make sacrifice. And so we saw in the very beginning, chapter 1, that Job sacrificed faithfully every day, even for his children, just in case they had sinned against God. So all of Job's hope and all of his trust was not in the fact that he was uh, sinless or perfect. In fact, he knew he wasn't perfect, otherwise he would have no need to sacrifice. Um, but his trust was in the fact that God had told him, God had promised him, God had revealed it to him, and how, we're, we're not told how, but he, he made sacrifices to the Lord uh, on the word of the Lord that those sacrifices would be covering for his sin. And of course, we who have the full um, we have the full revelation of God through the whole scriptures know that those sacrifices were pointing toward the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which uh, finally atoned for the sin. But Job was trusting that God would honor that word. And he, as he began to suffer and go through these things, go through all these trials, uh, the friends came and they have they told him, hey, God, you know, has changed his mind and God no longer accepts your righteousness. God no longer accepts 
your sacrifice. You must have done something to tick God off. You must have done something. You're hiding some secret sin somewhere. And Job utterly refuses to accept that. I've said this before, but it would be akin to uh, if you as a believer, you as a Christian were going through uh, suffering and trial in your life and somebody came up with the advice to you that, hey, God must not like you anymore. He must not accept Jesus Christ as payment for your sin anymore. He's punishing you for your sin. Therefore, you need to renounce your trust in Jesus Christ and do some good works to make up for it. It would be just like that. You hear, when when I say it that way, you hear the, the utter foolishness that that would be. That would be just, there's no way that I would renounce the sacrifice of Christ because I'm going through suffering uh, just so I could get out of suffering or I think that I would be able to appease God with my works. This is what Job was hearing. He was hearing this same advice. He was saying God no longer accepts those sacrifices. You must have done something too bad for those sacrifices to cover uh, your sin. And Job has rejected this. And so this last speech of Job, uh, we cannot minimize the pain and the suffering that Job is going through. In the beginning of Job's suffering, it was easy to see he was he was steadfast, he was unmovable. Uh, he said, you know, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. He wouldn't listen to his wife who told him to curse God. He wouldn't listen to his friends. He was faithful, he was strong, he was courageous. Uh, but as the suffering went on and on and on, and the friends came and were speaking to him, and it just... They were piling suffering upon him, piling false teaching, piling uh, just the pain and the trial and the, the temptation to leave uh, the faithfulness of God. And just all these things, we see it wearing on Job. And we've seen a few times in the book where Job has gotten irate. He's gotten to where he's uh, been right on the verge, if not surpassing the verge, of calling God unjust for what he's done or for what he's allowed to happen. So we've seen the human side of Job. We've seen that he is a faithful man. We've seen that he is uh, perfect in God's eyes. You know, not perfect in practice, but God said that he was a righteous man, perfect in all his ways at the beginning. So we've seen these things about Job, and we've also seen the toll that suffering takes upon him. And he's gotten... Uh, in the last section, it was just, it was the last straw. You know, this is just too much more than I can take. And so now, in chapter 31, he, he's going to claim just, you know what, forget all this. I forget all of y'all's advice. Forget what y'all are trying to do. I want God to come and render judgment. I want God to come and assess my case. I want him to hear my plea and tell me what is going on. He begins... Uh, the first, we'll say the first three verses, he says he's appealing to his conscience. He has devoted himself to keeping a clear conscience. He talks about uh, the covenant that he makes with his eyes and how he could gaze, how he could not gaze upon a virgin. And this is all, um, it's all a part of his purity of conscience, so to speak. Uh, not a perfect man, but he has a clean conscience before God based on the fact that he is uh, devoted to God, faithful to God, trusting in God, and obeying God as he presents sacrifice for his sins. He says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? What would be my portion from God above and my heritage 
from the Almighty on high. Uh, is not calamity for the unrighteous and disaster for the work of iniquity? Uh, when he's talking about the covenant with his eyes, he's not just talking about admiring beauty and you know looking at uh, a beautiful woman and saying, "Wow, God made a beautiful woman." He's talking about lustful desire. It's not a, it's not a, um, not a mystery there. But the the he just isn't talking about this one sin. He's he's made a covenant with his entire life to be pure before God, to be holy before God. Does it mean he's sinless? No, we've already seen that. So we can't we can't take this verse out of the context of the rest of the book. But uh, he has made a conscious uh, covenant, a conscious decision in and of himself. This is not uh, this is not a covenant that he's some deal he's struck with God. This is uh, a righteous man by God's standards, you know, through sacrifice and atonement, who has made a covenant in and of himself with his own heart, with his own eyes, with his own life, that he will keep himself pure before God. And, of course, we're not talking about perfection here. We're talking about devotion. We're talking about faith. We're talking about um, finding your your greatest peace and your greatest joy in God. Um, he's talking about... He's talking about walking in God's ways. And he's saying, look, I have walked in God's ways. But he's saying in verse 3, it says, Is not calamity for the unrighteous and disaster for the workers of iniquity? Job, in this statement, is expecting that when God comes to judge, he's going to justify Job. Um, Job expects, and it seems natural, that he would get rewarded. For his clear, clear conscience, he says, "Calamity is is it's not for the righteous; it's for the unrighteous. Disaster is not for the righteous; it's for the workers of iniquity." And so, since he considers himself justified, uh, not by how good he's doing, but by his life of devotion that is exemplified in the sacrifices that he offered, he. Um, he expects that his portion will be good from God. He expects the heritage uh, of blessing that should come, and he, you know, he rightly expects that calamity and disaster comes upon the unrighteous. Now, what we're talking about here is the uh, the culmination of calamity and disaster. We know for a fact that, you know, so far Job has. <laughs> He's experienced quite a lot of calamity and disaster so far in his life. So uh, what he's talking about here is a final judgment, a final rendering of his case. He's wanting God, he's calling God on the carpet, basically, in this chapter. And, and God's going to rebuke him for it. But what we see is that he he is at a place of suffering that is so great and so intense. And um, he has reached just the the... The height of his his trial and his uh, torments that he can do nothing nothing else but just call upon God and say, "Look, in this, you know, I want you to come and hear my case." And that's what he's going to do in verse four, you know, through six. He's gonna he's gonna call for God to come and assess my heart. And that's what he's going to do. And I got to tell you, as I was reading these and and studying through these verses, um, it's it's frightening language because I'm not sure I would want God to come and assess my heart the way Job is uh, is calling for God to assess his heart. Um, I'm not sure that I would I would 
want him looking into all. I mean, of course, he knows all about my heart already, but it just seems kind of uh, brazen for Job to be saying, look, I'm good. Come and check me out. You know, it seems kind of um, uh, uncharacteristic for him. But we have to remember the kind of perfection that he's talking about here. Not perfection, but the kind of righteousness that he's that he's talking about. He says, in verse 4, he says, Does not he see my ways and number all my steps? He's talking about God, and he's asking the question, you know, he's saying, I am, I've made a covenant for purity, and I've lived purely. Doesn't God see this? Doesn't he see how I've walked before him, how I've lived before him? And then in verse 5, he says, If I have walked with falsehood, and my foot has hastened to deceit, let me be weighed in a just balance, and let God know my integrity. He's saying, look, if, I've, if, I've, if I'm lying about this whole thing, I'm ready for God to come and judge me. I'm ready for him to come and I'm ready for him to come and, uh, you know, just uh, give me the give me the judgment that I deserve. I'm ready for him to come and tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, Job's ready to be weighed in God's balance and and he's ready to be judged for his integrity. Um, And it, it seems the way that the language is framed that Job is sure that he will pass God's test. He's not he's not um, at all worried and that's what's strange about the chapters. So what's strange about Job has come to a point in his in his suffering and in his thinking that uh, it's almost like you know whatever the outcome, I just want it to be over. I just want it to be want it to be done. But there is a surety that in his heart he knows for a fact that um, God would never go back on His word. That God would never. Um, change his mind so to speak about how he will accept man how he how men must come to him what he considers righteous what he considers holy uh, atonement and the covering of sin he wouldn't say that uh, these sacrifices would atone for your sin or cover your sin until atonement was made and then all of a sudden change his mind and so job is going to recount in the rest of this chapter pretty much he's going to recount his life and he's going to recount the evidence of his clear conscience. And that's basically what the rest of the chapter uh, is all about. In verse 7, he says uh, he, that his heart is not turned away from God. Uh, 7 and 8 says, If my step has turned aside from the way, and my heart has gone after my eyes, and if any spot has stuck to my hands, then let me sow and another eat. Let what grows for me be rooted out. He's saying, look, God, when you come to judge... If my heart is turned away from you, if my heart has gone after another, if my heart is engaging in idolatry and have has left the devotion of you, then judge rightly. Let let someone else have my blessing. Let let uh, he's calling down judgment language upon himself. Verse eight. Let me sow and let another eat. Let what grows from me uh, be rooted out. He's he's asserting that his heart has not gone away from God. That his devotion and faith has not waned for God, he's ready to accept punishment if God finds it so. Wow, that's scary to me. Because the human heart, all I can speak for is my own heart. The human heart is an idol factory. It can make an idol out of anything. And before you even realize what's happening, um, you can be 
gone off in another direction, uh, chasing the wind, chasing what you think will make you happy, chasing what you desire from li- out of life, and God will have to come and correct you, reprove you, and uh, discipline you, bring you back into into um, the path of righteousness. Uh, and we all know that we experience that, but the reality remains that even though that may I may wander in my heart, my righteousness before God is not based in my performance. It's based in the performance of Jesus Christ. It's based in the sacrifice that God said that he would accept. And that sacrifice is Christ. And so <clears throat> in God's in God's eyes, my heart may turn aside and then he comes and disciplines me, disciplines me. But that does not affect my justification. And it seems like Job... Job very well may be putting a little too much stock in his performance. And I think that is, um, it's understandable on one hand, but it's lamentable on the other hand. But the amount of suffering that the man has gone through, the amount of trial and the amount of tribulation, the amount of loss that he's gone through, uh, it has... It has bubbled over to a boiling point now where it just almost seems like he's he's speaking without thinking. Uh, he's speaking about, I know that God will justify me. I know that I have not done. He's talking to his friends. I know that I have not done what you say I have done. The friends have said, you know, you have sinned against the poor and sinned against the widow and sinned against God and sinned. And that's why all this is coming upon you. Well, Job in this section is taking the opportunity to saying, well, where's God? You let God come and tell me where I've sinned. You let God come and judge me. My heart has not turned away from God. In verse 9, he's 9 through 12, he's going to talk about the sin of, of idolatry. I mean, uh, adultery. He's going to say in verse 9, if my heart has been enticed toward a woman... And I have lain in wait at my neighbor's door, talking about uh, plotting uh, against his neighbor to take his, to covet his wife. Then let my wife grind for another and let others bow down on her. Uh, for that would be a heinous crime. That would be an iniquity to be punished by the judges. For that would be a fire that consumes as far as Abaddon and it would burn to the root all my increase. He's saying, look, if I have gone after a woman and committed adultery in God's eyes, if I have broken the covenant relationship that God placed me under in marriage, then let my wife go to another. And he says, if my wife were to go to another, if another would bow down upon her, I'll let you work that out in your own imagination. He said, that would be a heinous crime. That would be uh, an, an iniquity that couldn't be punished by the judges. It would be so bad. It would be a fire that would consume like the fires of hell, the destructor, uh, and it would burn the root of everything that I've increased. All my, all my prosperity would mean nothing. All my life would mean nothing if that were to happen. Um, if God finds it so, this is what Job's saying to his friends, I'm ready to accept the punishment. You know, he, he understands the seriousness of, of this adultery. He's saying, my heart has not turned from God. My heart has not turned from my covenant relationship with my wife. Uh, in verse 13 through 15, he's going to say, my heart has not turned 
uh, toward injustice against uh, servants and the poor and those who are under me. Uh, verse 13 says, If I have rejected the cause of my manservant or my maidservant when they brought a compliment, a complaint against me, a compliment, uh, what then shall I do when God rises up? When he makes inquiry, what shall I answer him? Did not he who made me in the womb make him, talking about the servant, and did not one fashion us in the womb? So what he's saying is, look, I'm not going to take these accusations from you, uh, friends. If I have rejected, if my heart has gone away toward injustice, and I have done wrong to the servants or the poor, if I've done all these things, then God will come, and He will make inquiry as to my actions. Uh, I won't be able to answer Him when He comes. He made me just like He made my servant. He sees my servant as... Uh, made in the image of God, just like I am, and He will fight for Him. You, you know, He, you can't tell me that I am, uh, I have done this crime when God Himself is the one who's going to come and judge whether I've done this. I'm not listening to these accusations from you anymore. That seems to be what what Job's saying. He's going to say, "I haven't withheld." These are all accusations that the friends have made. I have not withheld anything. From those who were in need. Verse 16 says, If I have withheld anything that the poor desired, or have caused the eyes of the widow to fail, talking about uh, hurting their, hurting them, or have eaten my morsel alone, and the fatherless has not eaten of it, if I've hoarded my food and not given it to the orphans. For from my youth the fatherless grew up with me as a father, and from my mother's womb I was guiding, I guided the widow. So what he's saying here is, I have been the one who fed the fatherless. I have been the one who guided the widow. I have been the one who has helped the needy. I've never withheld anything against the poor. I've never caused the eye of the widow to fail. I've never done anything. I've all. I've never done anything as far as oppressing people. And this was one of the accusations that the friends brought forth. He says, and then he says in verse nineteen, he says. If I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing or the needy without covering, if his body has not blessed me and if he has not warmed with the fleece of my sheep, if I have raised my hand against the fatherless because I saw him at the gate, he's, he's lumping all these things together saying, if I have done this, if I have done that, if I have not give clothing to those who lacked it, if, uh, if I have not warmed the, the ones that were cold with the fleece of my own sheep, he's calling God, let God come and judge, let God come and bring you know, his judgment upon me. I'm not listening to your condemnations anymore. I'm not listening to your accusations anymore. You let God come. You let God come and hear my case. Uh, verse 21, if I have raised my hand against the fatherless because I saw him, my help, because I saw my help in the gate, then let my shoulder blade fall from my shoulder and let my arm be broken from its socket. For I was in terror of calamity from God, and I could not have faced His majesty. He's saying, I've never harmed the helpless person as you assert that I have. He never mistreated the fatherless. This is what he's saying. Uh, even though he was a man of high standing, even though he was a man who sat in the gate and judged, he did not use his power to hurt the helpless. Um, and he said, if I did, if I did any of these things, I'll accept the severe punishment. If God finds it so, he says, I, let my shoulder blade fall out. I mean, I can't even imagine 
what that's about. Uh, Let my arms be broken. He says, I have not done these things. These are all accusations that his friends has made. Uh, um, Verse 24 says, uh, he's going to say, I have not let my heart trust in my wealth. Uh, That's a sin that they have accused him of. He says, if I have made gold my trust or called fine gold my confidence, if I have rejoiced because my wealth was abundant or because my hand had found so much, uh, he's saying, I haven't. His implication is, I haven't done these things. Uh, he's saying, if, he's calling God's judgment upon himself, saying, if I have done this, then let God judge. If I have done that, then let God judge. Verse 26 through 28 talks about idolatry. If I have looked at the sun when it shone, or the moon moving in splendor, and my heart was secretly enticed, and my mouth kissed, has kissed my hand, this also would be an iniquity to be punished by the judges. It would be a very serious crime, for I would have been false to God above. He says, I haven't been, I haven't been enticed to worship sun or moon or any other gods. Uh, I haven't been enticed to worship myself. I haven't been enticed to, uh, to uh, seek after my own self, make myself my own God, as so many people are wont to do today. If I have done these things, let God come and judge You can't tell me that I've done these in my heart because I have not. That's what he's telling his friends. Uh, Job never sought vengeance upon his enemies. He says, verse 29 says, If I have rejoiced at the ruin of him who hated me, or exalted when evil overtook him, talking about his enemy, I have not let my mouth sin by asking for his life with a curse. I, I didn't rejoice when my enemy was ruined. I didn't hate him. I didn't exult when evil overtook him. I never asked for another man's life in vengeance for what he has done for me. This is what his friends were accusing him of. He's always been hospitable to strangers. Uh, I mean, Job's sounding pretty good in his own estimation here. Verse 30, 31 says, If the men of my tent have not said, Who is there that has not been filled with his meat? As the people of his household was we're like, Job has helped everybody. Verse 32 says, The sojourner, the wanderer, has not lodged in the street. I have opened my doors to the traveler. He's always fed those who visited him. He always gave lodging, which was hospitality in those days, uh, was, uh, I want to say mandatory, but it was it was the custom that when, when travelers would come, that, that you would host them at their house. You see that all through Scripture. And to not do so was, was a very grievous sin. Um, and so, verse 33, he, he did not hide secret sins. And this is one of the main accusations that his friends throw at him. Uh, he says, if I have concealed my transgressions, as others do, by hiding my iniquity in my heart, because I stood in great fear of the multitude, and the contempt of families terrified me, so that I kept silence and did not go out out the doors. He's saying, if I, if I held this in my heart because I loved the praise of men rather than the praise of God, if I held iniquity in my heart because I was more afraid of what the people would think rather than what God would think, he said, let God come and judge. And then here we get to the, the point of this chapter and the last few words that Job is going to speak to these friends in, in, the, in the book. Um, he calls, after recounting his life and refuting the allegations that his friends have made against him, <clears throat> asserting his own uh, 
righteousness, which I don't even like saying it that way because Job was well aware that he wasn't perfect. He was well aware that he had indeed sin. But in these passages, he's talking about the the habit of his lifestyle, the habitual lifestyle that he lived in the same way that believers do today. The habitual lifestyle of a man whose heart has been changed uh, by the regeneration of God is one that will be engaged in good works and it will be um, shaking off evil works. It doesn't mean that there will never be a sin come into your life, but it means that the pattern of your life has now changed and is heading toward righteousness as the Spirit sanctifies you. And that's what Job is talking about here. He's talking about a present way of life, a lifestyle. And so, uh, verse 35, he calls for God to judge him. He said, Oh, that I had one to hear me. Here is my signature saying, this is, this is the point. This is what, you let this be labeled to my account. Let the Almighty answer me. Oh, that I had the indictment written by my adversary. He said, I wish he would come and tell me what I've done wrong. Give me the indictment written down so I would know. Verse 36 says, Surely I would carry it on my shoulder. I would bind it on me as a crown. I would give him an account of all my steps. Like a prince, I would approach him. He says, I would, I would come to you if God would just come and tell me what I've done wrong. I would accept it. Uh, I would just tell me why I'm going through all this. I would approach you as a prince. I would approach you as one who had the right to rule and judge. Just tell me. Verse 38 through 40 is Job's final words. He says, he calls creation as his witness. He says, if my land has cried out against me and its furrows have wept together, if I have eaten its yield without payment and made its owners breathe their last, let thorns grow instead of wheat and foul weeds instead of barley. Um, he's calling his land to testify on his behalf. Um, and there's a covenant motif here um, as Job began the chapter with, you know, I've made a covenant with my eyes. And here, of course, anyone reading this in the Old Testament would realize that the, the land is uh, part of covenant made with God. So it's kind of wrapping up the whole chapter with this with this covenant theme. It says, if I have if I have eaten of the land and not paid for it, if I have not done what I was supposed to do, uh, if I have killed the people who owned the land before me, he says, let, let thorns grow instead of wheat. Let me, let me accept my judgment. I'll, I will accept what God has, what God says. If I have done wrong, let him come and tell me. And then the, the final verse, the final phrase in the chapter says, the words of Job are ended. Now, now you would expect God to show up and say, "Okay, now I need to I need to have a few words with you, Job." But instead, we're going to get introduced in, in the next chapter to a new friend. Job is going to have a new little buddy. There's actually four friends, not three friends. Um, but Elihu is going to be the youngest of these, and he's kept his mouth shut for 31 chapters so he's done he's done really well well now in verse chapter 32 he he's gonna make he's gonna make his case and he's gonna say you know wait a minute i've got something to say before we end this discussion 